We all have dreams, whether large or small. All dreams take steps to achieve. And sometimes we think it takes a complex formula to get where we want to be. But in reality, small steps over time create big results. This is the tipping point. Hey, good morning, everybody. Hey, this morning, we're going to look at the last week of a teaching series we've been in simply called The Tipping Point. And The Tipping Point, the whole time, if you've been around with us, what we've been doing is looking at the small investments we can make, the small steps we take in our relationship with God that maybe not right away, but inevitably, eventually pay off for a huge life change. And today, we're talking about one final step. It's a big step. As a matter of fact, if you're a follower of Jesus here today, someone else's willingness to take this step was most likely the step, the tipping point for you. Um, This morning, what we're going to look at is what it takes for people just like you and just like me to have the confidence to share our faith. And so as we dive in, I just want to take a second to pray together and, and we'll keep going. God, would you help us today to understand what it means to tell people what we've come to believe about you? and to share what we have found in you, God. Lord, show us what you want from us in that way and nothing else. And Lord, I pray through your Holy Spirit like you did in the book of Acts that you would come and give us boldness and confidence that we could not create, fabricate, or possess on our own. Amen. So when I I was a kid, my brother and I in elementary school had to ride the bus to school every day together. And um, we had an arch nemesis on the bus. His name was Billy. We referred to him as Billy the Bully. And Billy would mess with us like the entire ride to school. And eventually I got old enough and big enough that Billy left me alone, but he moved on to my brother. And, And if you're a brother here, you know that you just don't roll that way, right? You mess with your brother, you mess with the family, you're going down. That's how we rolled. We were brothers. So he started messing with my brother, and every day we'd come home, and my brother would just kind of lament to my parents, Billy messed with me again. And, and so finally, my brother just had enough. He comes to me, he's like, Austin, Billy is messing with me over and over and over again. I, I need to know what to do to stop this. And so I, I kind of pulled him in close, and I said, Here, here's what I got. If you want to stop Billy, this is what you got to do. You need to, and I gave him the best your mama joke I had in my entire arsenal. A your mama joke that would make sailors run in shame. And a your mama joke that I will not share here because I would prefer to continue my employment at LifePoint Church. That kind of your mama joke. 
No elementary school student should know it, but apparently I did. And I told my brother, I gave him this, this bomb to kind of drop on Billy. And um, he gets on the bus and apparently shared his newfound information with Billy. And Billy, to all of our surprise, decided he would no longer engage with my brother. He was done. So we got home. My brother's feeling pretty good. We start going through our family routine at night where we all sit around the table. And my mom and dad would do the same thing every time we had dinner together. We would start with the youngest brother. We'd work our way around and they would say, boys, how was your day? Goes in normal form. Now, when they got to my middle brother, AJ, he's normally kind of melancholy, not super excitable, but AJ was like chomping at the bit. Today was his day. So my mom said, AJ, how was your day? To which he said, with all the pride in his heart, it was the best day that I've ever had, mom. Well, why? Well, mom, you know, every day I get on the bus and Billy the bully, he's always messing with me. He's picking on me. And today it was enough. Well, what happened? He said, well, I told him your mama fill in the blank. (laughs) About that time I realized this may go wrong for me. To which my mom asked the question and my dad asked the question that any good parent would ask at this point in time, AJ, where did you hear that? (laughs) He didn't know what he was doing. He was so proud. He looked at me with joy and he pointed (laughs) and he said, Austin told me. At which point I'm like sliding under the table. And I knew in that moment, what was really good news for AJ was about to be really bad news for his older brother, you know? That's kind of how life works sometimes. Not all news is good news. Or sometimes we can kind of get this feeling that what may be good news for you may be pretty rotten news for me. Husbands, uh, you ever been on one side of this equation? Or wives, you ever been on this side of the equation where, uh, ladies, maybe you came in with the best news you've ever heard? Honey, I'm pregnant. You know what that feels like to every husband? Honey, you're pregnant? Same statement, I promise you. Absolutely different interpretations of what that means. Not all news seems like good news every time. Or, or, or maybe, maybe, maybe over the last couple of years as we've seen gas kind of go down a little bit, and of course it always goes back up, it's kind of a seesaw, but, but maybe you've kind of celebrated at the pump once or twice where you celebrate those low gas prices. And when we lived in Kansas, I figured out low gas prices are great for truck sales and road trips, but half our church They were oil field engineers. And I remember celebrating the first time that gas had dropped under $2 a gallon with this guy as he began to lament and say, yeah, I don't know if we're gonna be able to keep our house. Not all news is good news. It's, It's really kind of the sobering experience my wife and I had when we adopted our son, Miles. We had prayed to have a child for 10 years. We had waited, we had begged, we'd cried, we'd done everything we could. And when Miles finally came home, I'm telling you, we celebrated like no one celebrated anything in the entire world, but it came with a sobering reality that this woman that we had grown to know while we celebrated was grieving the most difficult and honorable decision that any human being could ever make. It was great news for us. It was difficult news for her. So what you see on TV shows, or maybe you've known someone who was in a dire health crisis and the only way forward is an organ transplant. 
And while we celebrate that one person that we know maybe gets to live longer, we recognize in the same hand that the news that brought life to one has required death from another. See, most of us can identify something like that in our life where, where for one person it seemed like, man, this is the top of the hill, and for another, the very same news, the very same moment seemed to kind of crush their dreams. And I feel like many of us have been raised with this idea, this mentality that we almost expect it. That any news that we hear, any, anything that comes across our desk, any new information, we almost anticipate that while it may seem good on one side, it may have a dark side on the other. Here's kind of what we begin to think. Good news for you, like we've said, may sound like bad news to me, or what sounds true to you may not actually sound very true to me, or maybe if it's helpful to you, it may be damaging to someone else. And we almost expect that, that we have to kind of balance the news that we hear in anticipation of something that might not be so good on the other side. Try this for fun. This is just, you can have fun with this maybe, depending on which station you watch. Watch CNN for an hour, and then go watch Fox for an hour. And then here's what you'll do. You'll just turn them both off and realize they're all a bunch of liars. Because what we really get is this picture that, that one story can be reported here and exactly the opposite over here. And we begin to come to this place. Here's where I think we arrive over and over and over again. We find ourselves trapped in a culture that is increasingly skeptical about what we hear and defensive about what we say. Get this, we're skeptical about what we hear. We don't believe anybody. And we're defensive about anything and everything we may say. And this skepticism has gotten so big. It's gotten so wild. Then the last several months, one of the hot topic words that has kind of made its way through the media is a new invention of a category for news altogether. It's no longer good enough to have good news. You know, the things we hope and dream would happen that are finally real. Or bad news, the things we prayed would never happen, but yet they are reality. Now we have fake news. This designation that nothing can be trusted, that there is no truth out there, that nothing we hear can even be taken with a grain of salt. And in the end, the impact I believe it's had on, on me in some ways. And, and if I were a betting man, I'd say probably on you in a little bit is that we've become a culture of silence, no longer willing to share what matters most to us, the things that we hold to be true or believe or that have been most impactful in our lives. Why? Because we fear when we do, we'll be met with big amounts of skepticism or we'll have to get on defense and defend anything that we say and ultimately begin to live lives that reflect the old phrase, no news, is good news. We don't share a whole lot of anything. But as followers of Jesus, and I recognize that may not be all of us here today, as followers of Jesus, here's what you got to know. This is absolutely the opposite of what we've been called to. Jesus' disciples 
And the early church began to explode onto the scene, city after city, place after place, nation after nation, going here and there and around the globe with the idea that there was news that could be trusted. And in fact, it was good news. In Matthew, Jesus sends his disciples out on a, on a test run. Matthew chapter 10, and he said, go tell everyone that you meet the good news. The disciples began to start the church in the early book of Acts. And everywhere they went, they told people about this thing they called good news. Paul, this man who set his life to destroying the, teacher, or the, the, the believers of Jesus and those who began to establish this church, came face to face with Jesus and he called what he learned in that moment good news. And then when we look in the letters that he wrote to the churches later that he started, he wrote and talked to them again and again and again about this thing he called good news, which really begs the question, what were they talking about? What was it that was, that was so life-altering that they would risk life and limb and leave family and go around the world to share this news that they'd heard and to really get an accurate picture of what they heard and what they said requires us to go back to a real definition of what news is. If you go to dictionary.com and you look up news, here's the definition you'll find. It is newly received information, especially about a recent or important event. Essentially, it's this. News is something that happened, past tense, whether it happened three seconds ago, three minutes ago, or three years ago, and now everyone's just finding out about it. News is something that happened that changes what would or could happen from that point forward. It's a fixed event that alters all future events. The early church staked their life on the belief that the good news, that there was good news out there, and that more than that, those who found it were responsible, no matter the risk, to share it. And so this morning, I just want to ask three questions and kind of explore the answers that I think uh, the Bible gives us. And here are the three questions. First is this, what is good news as the disciples understood it? Second is this, why can someone like me share this good news? Now, why should you? It's not a guilt trip morning, but, but what in the world would give me the right, the ability to do so? Third question is, how do I tell somebody about good news? So let's just start with the first one. What is good news? All throughout the New Testament, there are two words that we see. They're synonymous, one with the other, and it's either good news or we see the word the gospel. And it really comes from this word you'll see here, uh, which is pronounced euangelion. If you're a, a Greek professor, it's probably wrong, so just don't tell me about it later. Greek was a long time ago. Euangelion is derived from two words, one meaning good, the other meaning news. And when you put them together, like do not, and it becomes don't, it's interpreted as the gospel. And so if you see good news, you can think gospel. If you see gospel in the Bible, you can think good news. And so Paul, this, this church starter, this church pioneer, writes to a church in the, in the city of Corinth, and he describes what the good news actually was. Here's what it says. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, and then again in 3 through 4, he says, Let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, 
of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. He goes on, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Here it goes. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. That's it. And maybe you grew up and, and you heard the term gospel or you heard the term share your faith. And, and, and you were taught that, that doing so was really a scientific debate. Or maybe it was a historical debate or, or maybe it was something that turned into an argument. But when the early church thought about good news and the gospel, it actually was a good thing. And this was not what they thought about. It was not an argument. It wasn't a debate. Remember, we got to go back to what news actually was. It was something that happened that changed what could or would happen from that point forward. And so Paul tells us a few key things. He says, first, that Jesus died. Now, if you lived in Rome and you heard that the Romans killed somebody, you would not go, really? That was not news. Rome was like really, really, really good at killing people. They did it a lot. Read your history books. They, they were actually probably the most efficient and, and precise killing force in all the world at the time. They were great at killing people and they killed lots of them. And so when Paul said, hey, this guy, Jesus has died, nobody went, oh man, I never saw that coming. Happened all the time. But when they said Jesus died, what you have to understand is Jesus had some street cred. Jesus had, had some reputation. They knew about his character. They knew about his following. People knew about Jesus's heart. And so maybe at best when Paul said Jesus died, they went, man, that's terrible news. Where's the good part? But then Paul says something absolutely bizarre, all in this one statement. Jesus died for our sin. He begins to paint this picture that Jesus did exactly what Jesus intended to do, and the Romans were only doing what Jesus was going to have them do one way or the other. Jesus died so that he could take the consequence of my disastrous decisions. Now, that's some news right there. I have forgiveness because someone took my punishment? That's groundbreaking. But here was the bigger part. This is the one no one thought of. The big surprise was this, that the Romans killed Jesus and Jesus came back to life. See, that never happened. The Jewish people did not think that was going to happen. That wasn't part of what they thought was going to be normal. They thought maybe at the very end of time, way in the future, everyone would be brought back to life. No one thought one person would do it before the world ended. The Jewish people were baffled by this. The Romans absolutely did not have a grid for what was going on. When they killed people, they stayed dead. That was kind of how it worked. Even Jesus' disciples took off, right? They didn't expect him to come back. And now Paul is going town to town to town, this brilliant philosopher going, hey, I know it sounds crazy, but this guy, Jesus, died for our sins, and then he was raised back to life. And that's some news right there. And as a result, see, that's what happened. As a result of what happened, the disciples and Paul and the early church were absolutely convinced that everything that would happen after could be different. See, it was Paul who killed Christians and now started churches. 
It was the disciples who were cowards and eventually became bold enough to lose their lives for their faith. There were nasty, sinful people who lived wildly different lives because of this news that they heard. See, here was what could be different, that now people who were condemned as sinful had access to forgiveness. They did nothing to earn, part one. Part two was this, Jesus had already gone and proven that he could do it. And so when he said, there's a life after this one, they went, oh, guess I got to take your word for it. No, you actually did it. Life and forgiveness were present now where death and, con- or, and condemnation once stood. And here's the big part for those of you who are going, I don't know what happens after this. If I tell somebody about this, that's all they said. They simply told good news. Something happened. Jesus died, came back to life. And now things can be different. That's it. So here's the second question. It's the one that typically comes next. Why can someone like me share this good news? And Paul seems to answer this as he writes to a church in Rome. See, most of us, when we begin to think about what it looks like to share our faith or talk about Jesus, here's what I do, even working where I work, I begin to categorize people. So I go like, Jesus, that category. Disciples, I'll go and put them over here. They hung out with Jesus. Paul, I mean, he kind of proved his point. Cool dude, he wrote a lot of the Bible. He'll go over here. Maybe Donnie, you know, Donnie can go over here because he's a pastor and he's really smart. We'll put him over there. And we begin to go, okay, there's everybody and I'm in this category and I don't know what made them able to do it, but I'm certainly not like them. Here's what Paul says as his reason that we can do the exact same thing that they did. He says this, for I am not ashamed. Uh, You can kind of use these words around that. Uh, Maybe it's scared or worried. I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. Why? It's the power of God working and saving everyone who believes. First for the Jew and also The Gentile, here's what he ultimately says to us. We're not responsible for sharing our faith. Actually, we're responsible to share it, but we're not responsible for what happens beyond that point. That's kind of God's deal. That means a couple things. We've got to recognize this. We don't get to take the credit if we share our story and someone comes to faith. That's not something you did. That's what God did. And when we share a story and nothing comes of it, guess what? You're not responsible for that either. That's God's deal. He may be working something out where 12 people share their faith with someone before they come to trust him. So what I found is oftentimes our hesitancy to share our faith has, again, more to do with our inaccurate view of news. Remember, Jesus died way back when, like 2,000 years ago. And when he came back to life, that was like 2,000 years ago. And so if my job's to share the news, I got to recognize I wasn't around when the news happened. And so I had no part in it. So for me to tell someone, hey, here's what happened, it has to be God's responsibility to take it from there. I didn't have anything to do with that. And no intellect or wisdom or savvy that I can possess is ever going to talk someone into believing or trusting Jesus for something he did. So when I was starting a church in Kansas, I had this uh, boss that said, hey, Austin, who have, you, who have you shared your faith with lately? And I said, oh, I haven't yet. We haven't started the church. And he said, that's a terrible answer. 
go out today and go tell somebody about Jesus. And I said, hey, dude, look, look, we're reasonable, intelligent men. And you know, like I know, that doesn't work, right? That's the kind of faith that starts great churches right there. Mm -hmm. Good leadership. He said, "Um, if you don't do that, don't bother coming back. You won't have a job. So don't come back into my office until you just... Go through the practice of sharing you know, Jesus with somebody. And so here's what I told him. I'll make an agreement with you. I'm going to go out and I'm going to do this. And when it doesn't work, you'll leave me alone about it. How's that sound? Faith of Job right there, you know. And he, he's going, you know what? That's fine. He sent me out. And so I, I'm out to prove my point. I waited through the whole day. I'm trying to find somebody, you know, just somebody that I can do this with. And so I sat in a mall, no joke. I remember all day looking for somebody. Maybe they had a big target on them, or I don't know what I was looking for, a sign from heaven, I'm not sure. And I gave up. I went to Panera. I'm sitting in line, getting ready to order something to eat. And this guy's standing in front of me, and I thought, you know what, I'll just test the waters here. Hey, dude, do you know, um, his name was Chris. Hey, Chris, do you know um, where I could find a church here in town? I'm new, I've lived here about a month. Uh, I'm just trying to get my feet wet around here. This guy stopped in the middle of the line. He looked at me with his mouth wide open. He goes, do you know about Jesus? I know a little bit. He said, I've got all these questions. They've been plaguing me. I don't have anyone to ask them. Could we sit down and talk about Jesus? And I thought, well, great. There goes my point. It's like I keep my job and I'm wrong. This is terrible. I talk to Chris about Jesus. He comes to church two weeks in a row. Week three, he, he places his trust in Jesus. He's a totally different dude. And in that moment, I went out to prove my point. And what I found was God ultimately proved his. What does Paul tell us? Why can I share my faith with any bit of confidence? He says this, for I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. Why? It is the power of God. Say that with me. Power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. It's never gonna be me. See, a lot of times what slows us down is we think I'm not smart enough to do it. And if you're waiting until you're smart enough to do it, you're gonna be waiting a long time. Raleigh has the highest per capita PhD population in the entire nation. Good luck. Every room you walk into, there's gonna be someone a whole lot smarter than you. But, but get this. If you're a follower of Jesus, and, and you can remember back to that moment where you went, yeah, I'm in, I get it, I'll follow you. Think about that time. Did someone like super smart come in with a monocle like Mr. Peanut roll in and go, hey, here's, just throw your questions at me. And they just started knocking them down one by one. Question, question, question. You went, I don't have any more. And from that day forward, you had no more doubts, no more worries. You know, Mr. Peanut answered all your questions. Everything's solid, right? It didn't work like that. Maybe somebody came in and they were like, hey, here's my smooth talk. And let me give you my best sales pitch. You're like, you sold me, man, dude, I got to do this but it didn't happen like that either. Most people I talk to can look back to a moment in time where they were confirmed in their heart of something that they could not fully rectify in their mind. God did something inside of you that cognitively he's probably still working out in you. And we go about the business of telling people we know about Jesus. What we don't do is go about a solo mission where you go, here's what I know, here's my great wisdom, here's my great wealth of knowledge, here's my scientific background. I got none of those things. What we do is 
tell news, hey, something happened. And in my life, it's made all the difference in the world. And I would just be willing to guess that it could make a difference for you too. So, so here's, here's the last piece. How do I do it? There's all kinds of ways to share your faith. At the end of the day, it's ultimately about your story. But, but here's just a simple way. Simple way to get you started. When I talk to people, typically what I'll say is uh, most people go about the business of finding God through religion. And religion sounds a lot like this. It's spelled this way, D-O, do. It's what I do to please God. And I got to keep doing things so that other people will know that I'm doing things so that God would know that I'm doing things. And if I do enough good things, maybe I'll do enough good things to outweigh the bad things that I do. And as long as I keep it all in balance, everything will be great. But the problem is we all do tons of bad things too. And we're never really sure. It's exhausting. It's tiring. But following Jesus is something entirely different. It's spelled more like this. Done. It's not about what I do. It's not what about, about what I have to offer. It's not how I stack up against everyone else or how I can work really, really hard to be a good boy so God likes me. It looks back at the news and it goes, hey, Jesus died for my sins. And he raised back to life, crazy as that sounds, so that I know there's a life after this one. And I'm gonna live from this day forward based on what Jesus has done because what I do isn't enough. When I tell people my story, I tell them, hey, I grew up in a pastor's home and I was a real brat. Growing up in the church, I'll teach you how to follow all the rules and do all the right things so everyone thinks you're great. And when I went home, I watched things on television I shouldn't. I looked at things on my computer that I should never do. I judged everyone else in the room and I tried to see how I stacked up against them and I was a real jerk. I was empty and dying inside even though most people thought I was doing really well. I was wretched. And eventually someone confronted me about it and they said, you need to quit living by what you do because you got enough bad things that you do. You'll never do enough good things to add up. And I learned to live a life based on what Jesus had done for me because that news will never change. And it changed everything for me. And this is the important part. It's all you gotta do. And I think it could change something for you. If you want to talk about that, I'd love to tell you some more about Jesus, period. No science, no history. Maybe you have to get there one day. Maybe someone has questions. You know what the best answer you can give people with questions that you don't know the answer to? I don't know the answer to that. I still trust in Jesus. So here's the challenge I want to close with today. I want to give you a, like the double dog challenge. Anybody watch Sandlot? Like you don't mess around with the double dog dare. And so that's where we're going. Before you come back next week, before the next seven days are done, I want you to find somebody you already have a relationship with that doesn't know Jesus. And I want you to share your story with them. Tell them the news. Here's what I've come to believe. Here's how it's changed me. And, and all I want to tell you is I think it can make a world of difference in your life too. Let's pray. God, thank you. You use murderers like Paul. You use hillbillies like Austin. You use people in Raleigh. You use people all around the world. And it's not what we do. God, thank you that you would allow us to be able to tell your story. Thank you that for many of us, we've been brought into your story. And Lord, I pray today that through your spirit, you would fill us up with the right level of boldness to share ours. 
I pray, God, that right now in this very moment, you will bring to mind someone we already know, someone who already knows us, that we can be intentional in the next seven days, share our story with, that we can share our faith with. And Lord, I pray that you would do it only you do, that we would find over time people come to place their trust in you. I pray that many of us would discover that in that very moment, our story, our faith becomes the answer that someone's been looking for their entire life. Amen.